0: Welcome back to the Empire's new clothes. We're here doing the producers' talk. We've got Dylan Jenkinson, our hey, weekly brother. convo. Yeah, hey. good
1: to Start see you. To again. doing
0: it again. I'll just <laughs> yeah. keep talking over you the whole time.
1: Let's do that. Let's <laughs> do that. I think that's one of the most uh, you know common podcast skills. So let's do let's do that. <laughs> yeah.
0: So you've um, I just spoke with Steve Soretzky, and you've listened to the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, you got any thoughts to bring the table here?
1: So many thoughts, so many thoughts. Um, yeah, it was a great. Well, first of all, I, I actually I subscribe to Steve's YouTube channel and like listen to his thoughts on a weekly basis. Um, it's really interesting to see somebody who's like really specific in a certain area, like real estate. Obviously, he's an active like a practitioner selling and buying real estate in uh, in a certain market. So he's talking about that, but what he's talking about the forces that push and pull that market and other markets in in canada and then like obviously it's just um reflected across the u.s as well is just uh it's fascinating for me and and i happen to be actually selling in my my apartment right now to uh for 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 personal reasons to make space for my my uh my mother-in-law to live with us so i'm like in the midst of it and it's super interesting to, to to both be interested in macroeconomics and like personally affected by how capital is flowing around the world. Uh, and I know all of us are, right? Like anybody who wants to, we all have, need to live someplace. And um, those forces that that change where you can live, how, how much you can afford, and um, is, uh, is personal to, I think, all of us, so.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I was explaining to a friend, like, oh, who are you interviewing today? I was like, oh, it's Steve Sretzky. He's his realtor, he has macroeconomics. We're like, oh, that's a weird pairing. And my initial reaction was, yeah, it is a little weird, but then I kind of explained why it was cool. Um, but then I thought about it more, and it's actually not that weird because housing is such a massive part of the economy. So if you're you know, a successful uh, realtor, why would you not be interested in macroeconomics is, is actually probably a better question
1: right yeah and i mean if you uh, steve's located in vancouver but any international Mm -hmm. city any city that yeah um is is completely connected to the world economy and where money is trying to escape from you know let's say in uh, 2016 the, the all the money that needed to move out of china as people were worried about you know uh it could they trust the government you know the communist government to not just Change things, change rules, and you know, see their money disappear. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, boom, Los Angeles, New York, San Francisco, Vancouver, Toronto, prices just start gr- growing, right? As people compete. So clearly, if you're dealing with that, I mean, I, I suppose you could just be uninterested. But I think Steve's a really uh, curious and intelligent guy, and and like, as the audience will hear from his interview, he's got some really great insights that I think apply. And, and really actually conform practical decision making. I mean, I think all of us. I don't. It, it hasn't quite made me think like I should buy or I should not in, mm-hmm. in this moment. But it, it yeah. certainly made me think like long term about how our family and you know views um, how we spend our money. Um, you know, there was actually a lot from Chris, like going back to Chris Watling last last week, which is yeah. a great a great interview. Um, you know, he he touched a lot on on these these ideas or or like how connected the personal um like kind of personal decision making around debt, like how it kind of there's an echo of that in how we make decisions as a as a society wide. Like, you know, each of us individually how we kick the can down the road often financially in our personal lives or like don't Mm -hmm. deal with certain things and, you know, how we do that personally, but then you see that actually reflected in like a society, like the way we act as a society. And you know you guys were talking about different monetary policies and like how things now are essentially like just trying to keep a system on life support um by kicking the you know what's a new technique we can we can do to just kick the can just down the road just a little bit more (laughs) you know uh, i'm laughing about it but it's actually it's not it's not good news and it, it helps to to be hearing from some people who are who are looking into this
0: yeah and that's an interesting thought like how, Because everyone's wondering, how long can the system last? That, that's the big question, right? And most people come to, I don't know most, I'm going to retract that. Some people come to the conclusion or the feeling that ah, this is wrong. This is just wrong. Like these things shouldn't be happening. Well, they are. And they probably will continue to happen for a long time. As that old adage goes, the market can remain irrational longer than you can remain solvent. And who knows, this could be another decade or that could sound crazy. And it is actually two decades or it's two years. We don't know. Um, but but thinking about the tools nations in the past have used to keep kicking the can down the road, they get pretty medieval, like price caps of, let's say, you know, Steve, he's a realtor in Vancouver. And so taking parallels from the Chinese real estate market what if vancouver or canada is like yep you can't sell lower than the last sale price you have to sell higher like that happened before in um russia and germany Hmm. um earlier in the 20th century and and that's happening now in china in in, uh, with real estate you like you can't sell at a loss some of these assets which is crazy yeah and it's really hard to imagine that here, maybe that wouldn't happen, but it just, I just bring that up as an example of, there's actually a lot of tools mm-hmm. yet available to keep kicking this can down the road. And will we get there? I have no idea.
1: Right, that's a bit draconian, but in some yeah, ways, the dropping of interest rates is a very similar kind of, Yes. we can't have people losing, um, you know, their main source of wealth for their retirement. And this is, I, th- I like Chris, like Chris actually touched on this a bit, and obviously Steve it segues into Steve's episode, but he was talking about the um, some of the generational effects. Like you know, Chris was really talking about seeing a crisis coming that mm-hmm. could that could actually force us to have to deal with some of these um, these issues, and will we actually deal with it, or will, you know will we choose to break as a society? Yeah. Um and. And one of those things is this generation, there's this generational push and pull right between um, like a lot of what the government does to support uh, mm-hmm. asset prices like stocks and and uh, real estate especially is 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 all about um, a, a gen- an older generation that that is what they're planning to retire on.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: and especially if you haven't, you know, if that's like your main plan and you haven't actually built up other assets or savings, let's say. But the, you know you have to. The, the government. So the idea of like the Chinese government just saying you can't sell for less, but the Canadian government or the U.S. government saying we're just going to cut interest rates a little bit more to make sure that we prop up the price of housing, um, to make sure that people can borrow more and afford to buy the house at the same price. It's yeah. um, the 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 end goal is the same. It is an artificial it's just different mechanism. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating. Um, man
0: it sounds so malicious when you say it like that it, it really does but, it, and... but you
1: know, i also relate to you know anybody who owns yeah. a house as well like i mean this is this is a real uh, it sounds nefarious and actually um steve uses a, a phrase about helicopter money sometime you know in, in in his episode and and one of the things you know i don't know helicopter parenting came to mind you know like it, it doesn't have a great <laughs> it feels like you know a parent yeah. trying to save their kid who's being irresponsible Um, but then, you know, if when COVID hits and somebody really is on the edge of not being able to pay their bills, um, you know, there's this balance of like, what is, um, compassion? And sometimes I wonder about, you know, if helicopter money is a problem because we've just kicked a can so far down the road Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, that we have people who are working full time and are right on the edge of not being able to pay their rent the next month when COVID hits. You know, like that's actually a bigger question of how far have we kicked the can down the road that that person hasn't been able to afford to buy a house or hasn't been able to be in the market like other people. So as, as, as the helicopter money pours in, it seems compassionate. It is, you know, partly motivated by compassion for people who don't have anything, but what's the result over the period of time of COVID is, massive wealth disparity most of that helicopter yeah. money flowed to people who already had a lot of money through asset prices and and people who who received the helicopter money basically just survived you m- mostly <laughs> and and then a bunch of people in the middle just saved that money which again went into assets because they put it into a savings account and then somebody who managed their savings account bought an asset with it like a like a stock or a, maybe invested in in real estate so it's uh, it's kind of a fascinating. It feels I, I I was like you know I like Steve. I'm like helicopter money. It feels a little bit like uh. I wasn't one hundred percent on 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 the phrase, but I was like I get it. It is. But you know sometimes what we do out of compassion, but we've kind of created a, we've created a spot where even compassion that's meant well, because we've set up a system to benefit those who already have something assets, that Mm -hmm. compassion mostly ends up just filling the pockets of somebody who already has enough.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it's really interesting to mention compassion because that makes me think about philanthropy and this classic white savior. And so the question is, is that compassionate? And there's a lot of arguments out there. I'm not going to wait in the midst of that, but there's many counter arguments as well that say, actually, it's really just about establishing your Western colonial norms into this place because of the attachment that that local economy then needs on aid and all these things this is a really big world. But relating that back to helicopter money and you could say, oh, white savior is like the Fed savior. The Fed just comes in, helicopter money, we're all good for a moment. But then now we're all handcuffed to this new system because there was clearly already a broken system but now we're just like reiterating the brokenness in a different way and we're kicking that can down the road because the question is, why are we not fixing it? And we're solving it through, again, the analogy of a white savior or the fed savior. We're doing that because we don't want to face the real problem. We don't want to get dirty. We don't want this thing to blow up on our watch. Enter your own... Reasons that you've come up with and thought thought of as well, because we all have our own summaries of why why these systems are perpetuated and we're not solving the issue today. Um, but that's super interesting that you brought up compassion because it definitely makes me think of, well, is it really compassionate? What's deeper than that? What's deeper? What's actually yeah. going on?
1: That's a, I mean that's a that's good. I uh, like uh, for unrelated reasons to economics, like I've thought quite a bit about the this the the white savior um like the point that's being made Mm -hmm. um you know specifically because um, i know a lot of refugees and and in that context of like having friends being friends with with certain refugees who live here in vancouver um you know i've 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 heard that and i've thought about that concept and what's interesting to me is that like what you're saying it really comes down to a motivation like um because if your motivation is to actually secure your own place of being secure and being powerful and like, actually like, look, I'm helping somebody, but it's actually mostly about me feeling good or like psychologically me feeling better and being more secure at the end of the night, then that's not really giving of myself. And that's not really based in like actual compassion. So um, the reason I say that like, so this, this segues to, um, there's a study that I read uh that that these last few interviews have actually reminded me of a few years ago. Mm. It, um, it was actually an article in uh, psychology, uh, psychology today that referenced a few studies. And what this was was a study of parents who, whose kids had been convicted of murder, which is like seems very mm. serious. But what the study was about was asking them about their own beliefs about what their children had done. And it was amazing how high percentage of, of parents whose kids were convicted, were still very convinced that their kid was innocent and what they came down to was that the the psychological imperative to believe um believes a better story even when the evidence in front of you is like Mm. very clear you know um it was just this it's the psychological um mechanism so when you in the interview with steve you guys talked about people at the Fed or people who are who are doing you know in charge of pulling certain levers and they're smart people and do they see like you know when you just create a lot of money and price you know how you create 20 percent more money and the house price jumps by 20 percent you have people that are really nowhere near being able to ever afford to, to, to have a house of their own um, do they see the kind of actual practical on-the-ground pain that that's causing and 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 I thought back to that study that the, the psychological imperative to um believe that what you're doing like believe the best and like because touching the truth might actually be kind of painful or hard or difficult Mm -hmm. and um yeah so so uh when it comes to that helicopter like the white savior the fed savior like you know it's possible that people really believe they're doing the best but but really you know, they're actually doing what makes it feel the best right now. It's just another type of psychological kicking the can just down justification. the road. It's just, well, it's just like it's kicking those emotions down the road. Like, you know what? It's just a little bit too yeah. hard for us to deal with that. And as Chris and Steve have t- and other guests have talked about, there's there's a point, though, where the pain of dealing with something becomes equal to the pain of not dealing with it or hopefully yeah. And and that's the point of of like, you know, and, and, and the hope is that we wouldn't wait all the way till the point where it's actually that bad. Right. But that takes some um, there's some psychological, you know, some some internal emotional strength that's needed to really deal with what is yeah. as opposed to what we kind of would hope, which is what these parents, we, they just kind of hope that their parent, their kids would be innocent. Yeah. And they just created that reality in their mind. And I think that's sometimes our politicians and people, when they say things to us. Um, that's essentially what's going on. It's like, I hope the housing market, I hope you'll be able to afford a home sometime. Um, I'm just going to kind of believe that that might be possible.
0: (laughs) Well, I can't remember the name. One of our guests, as they said, hope is never a good strategy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, though it's, it's good to have hope. It's not the best of your only strategy. Um, so we're going to, we're going to wrap this up. Again, I'd like to remind folks that we're going to try to do this every week. Um, If you like what we're doing, definitely let us know. We'll keep doing them. Um, And I'll leave you on one thing. When Steve and I hung up, or we ended the recording, we were speaking before actually hanging up, and he asked if it's lonely what we're doing, diving into macroeconomics and empire collapse and all these things that end up going quite deep and asking very deep questions at times and so and i was like you know it is a little bit it's nice that we can have these chats with you dylan and some of the other team members but with friends in everyday life it's kind of like their eyes just glaze over um and so that's my question to folks listening and like let us know it is do you like this is have you found a community in this world of diving into these things or is it a bit lonely because no one else really cares about this and they're just psyched on getting a high score in pac-man or you know, insert whatever it's always that uh, <laughs> yeah it's always playing pac-man
1: so you can tell a generation where we are of no no just joking. <laughs>
0: yeah outing ourselves here Uh, so yeah, thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week.